Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, October 12th, as we get you ready for Virginia Tech's homecoming game and a date with a longtime rival in the Miami Hurricanes. On today's episode, we'll break down this matchup, some of the key players involved, and discuss what the Hokies need to do to get back in the win column. All that and more coming up on episode 263 of the Tech Sideline podcast, which starts right now. welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on youtube if you are on youtube make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and also turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts this edition of the tech sideline podcast is sponsored by first bank and trust company who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience first bank and trust company is the bank that puts you first visit www.firstbank.com to learn more Let's introduce the crew for today. On set, we have Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline, across the way. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today is Jake Lyman, our Monday podcast host. Behind the scenes producing is Nick Brown. We also have Carter Hill shadowing him today. And I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. Virginia Tech and Miami, so many great games over the years. Not sure we've ever had one quite like this, though. Mario Cristobal takes over for Miami in the offseason after a lot of success with Oregon. Miami is picked as the preseason coastal favorite. He, ret- he retires the turnover chain, so he means business. And now flash forward to now both of these teams are coming off of three straight losses. How did we get here? I believe David Teal said this is the first meeting ever between Virginia Tech and Miami where both teams have a losing record have a losing coming records. into the game. Yep. And I can't imagine there's been any point in there where both teams had lost three in a row leading into the game. Wow. So, so uh I think uh, there's been a lot of great games and a lot of memorable games in this series. If this one's memorable, it's it's going to be because of like a crazy finish or something like that. It's not going to be because of the teams or what the game meant. But I still think it's going to be a good game, though. Just, and and we're also leaving out the fact that it's on RSN. It's not even on. <laughs> oh, it's, it's not, not even like on the ACC ACC network. network. It's not on one of the ESPNs. I mean. Was it, it one it, of the Bally, Bally Sports channels or whatever? Yeah, I the ones the, I can't get. So I'll be watching <laughs> this thing live, and that's pretty much it. Yep. Following the Pitt loss, we'll have a chance to avenge that one next year as uh, Pitt is one of our primary rivals with the new ACC scheduling model. But one of the bigger disappointments when that whole new model came out was not having Pitt in the yearly rotational. We actually or not having Miami in the right. yearly rotational. We actually won't see the Canes for the next two seasons. So obviously, you know, this weekend you have to soak it in more than normal. If you have a sucks to be you shirt, you better wear it with pride <laughs> because you're not going to get to for the next two years. Well, you can still wear it. <laughs> Did, were, were you in? No, because you were down in Chapel Hill it, when that when that scheduling model came out. Mm-hmm. We uh, dedicated part of one of our podcasts to it, and I sat down and looked. And literally every rivalry worth playing was preserved on an annual basis, except Virginia Tech Miami, and. 
uh, I was kind of wagging my finger at the ACC, but people commented later and said apparently, apparently the Miami athletic director said something that. No, he was quoted as saying Virginia Tech's not a rival. Yeah, they like, they, they, they don't view, view Virginia Tech as a rival. It's just like, uh, you know how like everybody views Duke basketball as a rival, and they think they're yeah, like right. it's like our fans say nice rivalry with Duke since we beat them at home all the time, right? Yeah. Well, Duke. Basketball fans don't view Virginia Tech as a rival, or UNC football fans don't view Virginia Tech as a rival, even know. though I do. Yep. So uh, yeah, it's just for Miami, it's just not not a thing. Yeah. See, see, when when the Biggies first started and and Miami was having their way with Tech those first few years, if and I guess this is the way I think about Pitt. Tech didn't really have a problem with Pitt the first few years, and then they started having a big problem with Pitt. Mm-hmm. Well, I pay attention now. I could, I don't know if I consider Pitt to be a rival in the traditional sense of the word, but that's if it's not a rival, it's the next level down. And you think Miami fans would have had the same reaction to Tech once Tech beat them five years in a row right. in the late 90s. But no, you know, fast forward 20 years, and it's like we don't need to play them every year. Well, you'd have to ask the players for both sides through the years because like to me like a rivalry is between fans like players come and go yeah it's a different set of players every year and they cycle out of the program in four years but the fans remain but like miami doesn't have any fans so i mean they, they, i mean they've got their you'll see a few down in the south end zone because this is their one chance every few years to watch their team play yeah and things like that but there's just not a big 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 miami fan base and, and the ones that do exist, I mean, it's different. They're not a, they're not a big state school like Virginia Tech with an on-campus stadium and a great atmosphere. Uh, so to me, a rivalry, a long-term rivalry, rivalry is about the fans. That's true. So uh, I, I know the players and everything view that as a rivalry, and and Tech fans, I've always look at at the game in, in that light. But like, I personally don't know a single Miami fan. That's true. You see them around. They they are a national brand. So you're right. There will be some. They're like there are like Miami fans of Roanoke that'll show up for this game. Uh, as far as the players go, I th- I think I think if you go back 20, 25 years or whatever, ask a guy like Dwight Vick mm-hmm. about the Miami rivalry and and or a guy like mm, Jeff Holland maybe. I'll it was a big deal to the Tech players back then. Yeah, sure, it, yeah, it was a big deal to the players then. It's just not so much anymore because. Players move around a lot more, and there's more of a, a player culture, an individual player culture, than there is a team culture. Mm-hmm. You know, there used to be some great rivalries in the 757, for instance, in high, amongst high school teams. And I, I, I bet, I hope I'm not sticking my foot in my mouth here, but I bet not so much these days, you know. Well, like Phoebus has beaten Hampton, like, how many years in a row? Yeah. I mean, just, and, and they're not, it's not competitive anymore, so it's not even a rivalry. Yeah. So, so I think... Old school players, guys 20, 25 years ago, would, would call it more of a rivalry than modern players would. Yeah. And to me, that's embodied by Noah Taylor transferring from UVA to UNC. To, to North Carolina. But the other thing is, like, this particular uh, game, when's the last time it meant something? And, and the, either the national standings or whether who's going to win the Coastal Division, things like that. Things like that. It used it's to mean something almost every year. Yeah. And it just doesn't anymore. Yeah. The Miami fans start showing up more when the Canes are actually good. I want to say it was, you know, not the past two times we played in Coral Gables, but the year before that, so I guess six years ago, they did like a blackout and mm. J-Lo was there and Aaron Judge, and it was huge. I remember just so many so many quotes from the Tech players after that game saying how loud it was, but the past two years when they haven't been as, as good, yeah. you know, that home environment doesn't present as much of a challenge. Back to the fact that, you know, this is the last time we see them for two years for the next two seasons, obviously dropped the West Virginia and the UNC games with similar implications of not seeing them again in 
in the near future. So it would be nice to bid a farewell to this annual matchup, leaving it off with the win. Yeah, because uh, you didn't do that against West Virginia. You didn't do that against North Carolina. Uh, you would like to do it against one of those teams. Um, I like the new ACC scheduling model because it's going to give us Florida State and Clemson and NC State more often. But, you know, it's, at the same time, it's going to be sad to lose some of these other games on a, on a regular basis. But at least it's not like we're not going to go like six years without ever playing them yeah. again. And, you know, it's, it's just not going to be quite as often, except and, for West Virginia. And not to steal a little bit of Jake's fourth chair thunder, but uh, they've played 30 years in a row and they're 15 and 15. So this is... You can, you can kind of put an exclamation point on it by winning this one. You know, yeah, you're right. They'll play again, and they come into Lane Stadium in 2026, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's one thing to look at is who's going to win. And in all these years where they played consecutively, who's going to come out on top in that? Before we get into this matchup, want to mention a depth chart note. Alan Tisdale will make his 2022 season debut this weekend against Miami. It certainly could have come at a better time, a.k.a. maybe any week before this. But happy <laughs> all in all that he'll finally be able to contribute. You know, I mean, if you're a conspiracy conspiracy theorist, you wonder, oh, wow, starting linebacker gets cleared the day after they give up 320 rushing yards, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know whose decision was or what issue it was, but I'm glad he's back. You know, he can be a solid football player for, for the Hokies. I thought he, he had a good spring game for whatever you can take out of that, um, playing against, you know, a vanilla spring game offense. But Tex, uh, Tex played three redshirt freshmen at that Will linebacker spot this year and uh actually i think they've played four since i think will johnson got a few reps there too in mm. the unc game and I, I think all of those guys are good prospects but they're not quite ready for prime time yet and some linebackers are ready as redshirt freshmen like vince hall and xavier db others aren't ready until they're redshirt juniors like james anderson and james anderson was the third wheel in that linebacker trio right he was the last to develop but he went on to have the longest NFL career out of all of them. He played in the NFL for like 10 or 11 years or something like that. So I think those guys are good prospects. They're just not ready right now. Doesn't mean one of them won't be James Anderson, though. So I do think Tisdale coming back will improve the defense. Yeah, I, I, I love to tell this story. Anderson at first was a backer, right? He was a backer. One of the inside, two inside linebackers yes. so in Bud Foster's He was the system. wheel by the current scheme. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Uh, 2002 Syracuse game that they lost 52 to 49 Correct. in the dome and double or triple overtime. He had to start two straight games. Yeah, with Vegas Robinson. Hurt. Um, uh, Syracuse ran a hundred plays in that 52 to 49 game, and James Anderson, a middle linebacker, backer, had six tackles. I thought it was three. I thought I remembered it as three, but it's like six. Whatever, it's not many. Right. Um, that was back when in Bud Foster's scheme, the Mike and the backer made a lot of tackles. They were always, unless they sucked, they were always number one and number two. And that was the thing about, you go back and look at the Vince Hall and Xavier Adibi's years, it's Vince Hall, Xavier Adibi. Next year, Vince Hall's it. Boom, 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 boom. They were the one and two tacklers. So for Anderson to only make three or six tackles, whatever it was, in 100 plays, he wasn't there. And I remember watching the film and he was, Running from sideline to sideline, watching the action. He didn't know where he was going. And then the guy comes back as a whip linebacker, is great as a whip linebacker, and plays. He got drafted higher. I mean, he was a third-round pick. Remember? Xavier D.B. was a fourth-round pick. And Hall, of course, didn't get drafted at all uh, because he just didn't have the athleticism. Well, he had his knee knee injury (laughs) was bad. (laughs) Don't go, uh, uh, what is it, uh, what are the ski, uh, don't go jet skiing. Yeah. 
You get a good laugh out of the fact that Tisdale comes back Miami week, as we all, I'm sure, remember oh. the incident back in 2019 in Coral uh, Gables where he gave his all on that gave field. It that's all. for sure. Oh. So I've, I've got a buddy that I tailgate with, and he after that game, he bought a Virginia Tech 34 jersey and customized it and says, puke and rally on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten about that till just now. Oh, there was a good picture of it on uh, – I saw a retweet from like 2019 from right after the play happened. It was a screenshot of him just puking all over the field. And the caption was, when you eat it, Schultz. (laughs) (laughs) That situation certainly turned into a meme. And we know he's going to give his all. We obviously won't spend too much time on that incident for obvious reasons. So we can go ahead and get into this matchup. Starting with the Miami offense, first off, I want to mention that they're very well coached. Their offensive coordinator and Josh Gaddis comes from a stint at Michigan where he served in that same role. But before that, actually, doing a deep dive into his coaching history, he spent five years coaching alongside Brent Pry at Vanderbilt and Penn State. So there's a little bit of familiarity there. Yeah, mm. there, there is. Uh, and Gaddis, you know, you're getting old when players you watched play in college. Like I watched him play. The first year I worked for Tech Sideline, he was playing for Wake, Who did he play for? Wake Forest. Wake Forest. He was okay. a safety. Yeah. He played defense. But, uh, yeah, he's had a, a meteoric rise in, as a coach uh, to a certain extent. And his name has been floated as, as a head coaching candidate for schools uh, one yeah. day. And he'll, he'll get that opportunity at some point. Uh, so, yeah, that was an, that was seemed on paper a good hire for, for Miami. And, yeah, there's going to be some familiarity. Uh, that, Miami splashed some money on their coaching staff. Yeah. That's yeah, for they, sure. They did, and so far not paying off. But you know, they, yeah, I, I wouldn't close the door on that yet. It's yeah. early. Yeah, they got they got enough good players. Yeah. The Canes' offense is led by ACC quarterback of the week, Tyler Van Dyke. And if you looked at Van Dyke's stats solely from last week, you would think, oh, he's left off from his 2021 campaign mm-hmm. where he looked like he could be a high draft pick in the NFL. And was Was he ACC freshman of the year last year? Is that right? I don't I know, don't but know. he's he he was. Uh, so he, yeah, could, Nick says he yeah, was. Yeah, okay. So if you just look at those stats from last week, you would think, oh, he's still a great player, but really he struggled to find his identity and even got benched just a few yeah. weeks ago. You know, I remember I watched their game against Texas A&M, and he kind of seemed like he was having trouble gripping the ball. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it was like a humid night down there or something, but uh, his receivers dropped some key passes in that game, and they only scored nine points that night. I thought they outplayed Texas A&M, but they just didn't quite get it done. And then... After that game, he was he was do, he was doing an interview for a podcast, and and they asked him about playing at Texas A and M, and he was talking about how great it was, and then he uh, kind of put his foot in his mouth and basically said, "Yeah, it's way better than playing at home. I don't like playing at home because basically we don't have any fans. It's not a college atmosphere, and I have way more fun going on playing on the road." Yeah, and. Lo and behold, a couple of days after he did that podcast, they lost to Middle Tennessee State at home. He, at home, and he got benched. That's where he got booed off the field <laughs> after making those comments by the half-filled stadium, of yeah. course, right? Uh, so they struggled in that game. They've struggled offensively, and then they played a UNC defense, who for every offense not named Virginia Tech is the cure. Is, is the cure. So he threw for 496 yards and three touchdowns in that game, and they picked off Drake May twice. Somehow they still lost. That's just what Miami does these days, apparently, as they, they find ways to lose, lose games. But, uh, look, we know he's capable. He's He's got a great arm. Like, last year it was just deep ball after deep ball, if you remember. Yeah, a lot of deep I yeah. want to say his, like, yards per attempt was up around, like, 10 or something like that. Some incredibly high Yeah, number. which for those who don't know, that's excellent. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not quite Michael Vick 1999 level, but it's – 
about as good as you're going to see these days. Uh, yeah, so you Vic, know that Vic 99 was something like 13 or 14 yeah, yards per yeah. attempt, some insane yep. number. So I, I think, and then it dropped to like seven and a half the next year. Yeah, it did it, not go because they didn't hit the deep ball. But he's capable, and and you know we know that Dorian Strong will probably be out for this game. Yeah. So uh, there's enough talent there for Miami to blow up, even though they haven't played well. It's possible maybe last week. This game gave him a boost of confidence, and and hey, he likes playing on the road better. If he likes playing in college atmospheres, he's going to get one this Saturday. Um, so to your point, uh, in a vacuum, you would not expect what's written on this roster card where Van Dyke only has 175 attempts on the year. Grant Wells has 204. He's thrown the ball almost 30 more times. Um, the yardage is very similar. Van Dyke has 1305, even with the huge week last week, and Grant Wells has 1260. TDs are similar, seven for Van Dyke, six for Wells. You know, interceptions, that's another thing. Van Dyke's got four, and Wells has uh, seven. Yeah, three but, of those weren't really Wells' fault. So. Yeah, well, and one of them was a Hail Mary. You well, know. that's what I was counting that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, completion percentages, Van Dyke is up around 64%, and Wells has dropped down to 58.8%. Um, at one point, he after three games, I think he was at 65%. So his completion percentage has taken Well, Well, Tech has to throw the ball too much because they always find themselves behind by double digits. Yeah. So. Yep. That game against Middle Tennessee was the worst of his career, really. And following that, they had a bye. He was able to build up his confidence for two weeks. And then he comes out against the UNC defense, of course, and has a 500-yard day. It's... Uh, kind of unfortunate that, you know, his confidence was so great in that U- in that UNC game. I expect that to build going into this week just in time for a trip up to Blacksburg. I would think so. Uh, you know, he's too good a player, and, and they have too many, you know, decent to good athletes on that team for them to struggle all season. Um, and you worry about it because, you know, Tex looked shaky in the secondary last week against the pass for the most part. Pitt just didn't have to throw it very much because they were busy running down <laughs> down Tech's throat. 36 uh, times from one yeah, guy. Exactly. Um, I mean, they only ran, what, I don't I don't remember the exact stats. But uh, Miami's going to come in probably a little more pass-heavy because th- their running game has been inconsistent this year. And they've got some offensive line issues. They've got some injuries up front. Uh, and in general, they've been better pass-blocking than they have run-blocking as far as I can tell. So, yeah, I mean, I would expect, yes, you want balance. But I would definitely come in, and, and I expect I, uh, I expect they, them to stress Virginia Tech in the secondary. I'll put it that way, especially with Dorian Strong out. He's also another quarterback who has an inability to make plays with his feet, and the Virginia Tech <laughs> defense rejoices because mm-hmm. I really don't think that they're going to see another true dual-threat quarterback until Jeff Sims in November probably. Yeah, and he seems to be playing a lot better now that uh, he's, he's a <laughs> Now that coach. Jeff Collins has been yeah. playing. Yeah. Another note on that um, Van Dyke comment about how he likes to play in a way atmosphere is better. I mean, he certainly did okay at Kyle Field, but it's funny because it's so easy to recruit to Miami. You know, come to Miami, come play mm-hmm. in South Beach. But the best part is when you get to leave. So Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron there, I guess. But as far as playing, I mean, I imagine that that's true. And that's actually, I guess we'll talk more about this later, but that's actually what concerns me about this game more than anything else. Yeah, you know, I've I've said it. Lane Stadium's got a great environment, you know, and and I've said it many times that I that Inner Sandman gets the opposing team fired up as much as it does Tech, you know, and and it's it's <coughs> players love playing in front of big crowds, whether they're home or away. 
getting into the pieces around Van Dyke. They certainly spread the ball a lot, but his most reliable target being Will Mallory at tight end, who's sure to cause some havoc in the passing game. Yeah, Mallory seems like he's been there for a while. And he was their their top receiver last week. He had over 100 receiving yards against, mm. against North Carolina. Um, he's a good prospect. He's a big-bodied guy. Uh, Miami generally y'all has a good tight end. I mean, even you go all the way back to the days of Greg Olson and probably even before that, quite frankly. And the soldier. What yeah, was his name? Kellen Winslow. Kellen Winslow, yes. Yes, yes that's right. And uh, So they've had a whole bunch of them. I don't know if Mallory's quite on that level, but you know, he's, <laughs> he's still a good player. 6'5", 245, I think, senior. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Their passing game has been okay and took a major step up last week, obviously. Certainly, they're not operating at the same level as they were last year. Drops have been an issue. I watched a really Mm. bad one against UNC last week. They really had so many opportunities to win that game, but costly mistakes. They uh, had an opportunity to, you know, at least keep driving for a game-tying score against A&M. They they went for it on fourth down towards the end, and the Miami receiver was just wide open out there in the Mm. flat. And hit him right in the hands, and he just dropped it. And the game, that was it. That was the last game. Uh, so, so Chris put in the preview, uh, as a team, Miami's credited with 12 drops. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia Tech has 14. In, NC State, in the in, ACC. In one extra game yes, for Virginia Tech. That's true. Yeah. Uh, NC State, 16, and UVA, 24 yeah. drops. Who was supposed to have the best receiving core in the ACC of, going into this year. 24 drops is insane. That, that What has happened to that offense is remarkable, but we're not here to talk about it. We're not here to talk about them. Yeah, uh, late, late November we'll get to that. I don't think uh, Miami's quite as good as a receiver as they normally are. Um, you know, that they've got they got a grad transfer from Clemson in there, and he was not a productive player for Clemson. And in fact, Clemson is a better passing offense now that he's left. They seem more talented. So now he's now he's at Miami in the playing rotation, and people are wondering what's wrong with their passing offense. Well, um, I just don't think they're quite as, as as talented as they used to be. And and you bring in a new offensive coordinator and and some new faces and things like that, and and it could you know it could get better. Yeah, them. I mean they they spread the ball around and and you put that in our preview that uh, yeah they got a lot of guys but I, not like to me like none of them is like a standout. Well, there is no one guy with more wide receiver with more than twelve catches. Right. Mallory has twenty catches right. on the year, and the next guy is uh, Smith Keyshawn Smith right. with uh, twelve catches. Um, you know he averages sixteen yards per catch, which is pretty good. But you're right, there's not the the they don't have the dudes at wide receiver. It appears yeah. And part of the hit to their receiving core comes from losing. Honestly, their star wide receiver in Xavier Restrepo, who uh, had an injury earlier in this year, and so he's not going to be available. Would have been a nice week to get Dorian Strong back. Mm-hmm. You obviously want to have your best cornerback on the field at all times, especially given the high percentage of pass plays that Miami did last week. But hopefully he's back after the bye. I, I guess I, we don't know for certain. I hope so. I mean, clearly at this point, it's obvious there was a break or a fracture or something in his hand. Whether he had to have surgery or not is, is what I don't know. It wouldn't shock me if he did have to have surgery. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it would be nice to get him back ASAP. Before we get to the rest of the first half, let me go ahead and throw it over to Jake for the first time. Well, you guys mentioned some of the history of this rivalry between Virginia Tech and Miami. This is the last of 31 straight matchups. And as Will said, 15 and 15 over the previous 30. And Chris, you mentioned this is the first time in all 40 games that these teams have played that both teams have losing records. It kind of has been a a series of runs. Miami won the first 12 games in this series from 1953 to 1994. But then Virginia Tech won 12 of 17 from 1995 to 2011. So it's been back and forth. uh, And to add to this, we have 
our weekly stat time with Scott Glessner. <laughs> um, he has some great information on this history as well, including the last 10 matchups between these two schools. The team that won the turnover battle won the game. So ha- not since 2011 has the team lost the turnover battle and still won. And also Virginia Tech lost for the last five against Miami. Tech has not scored in the fourth quarter in any of those four games. So that might be the key to getting back on track against the Hurricanes. This so weekend. don't turn it over and score in the fourth quarter. All right. Um, <laughs> Who would so have generally, those are uh, t- two pretty good things, too. So the overall series is 24 to 15 in favor of Miami, which yep. means it's actually 15 to 12 in favor of Tech after Miami won the first 12, yep. which is not a surprise. That's what it feels like. Yeah. I certainly hope that we're able to score in the fourth quarter, but I know last week the second half was really when the Miami defense stepped it up and they pressured Drake May a lot. He think threw both of his interceptions maybe in the second half. I think that's probably right. I know I looked at the score at one point and it was fourteen nothing North Carolina, yep. I believe, and uh, and then you know Miami came back and made a game of it. Uh, they've got they got a lot of athletes on defense. Like like one player doesn't stand out. It's not like oh they're this defensive end is great, so we can double team him and not worry about everybody else. You can't really double team anybody because they kind of come at you in waves. Unlike Pitt that had like one. I don't think Miami has anybody as good as Cansey, but mm-hmm. I think they have more athletes than Pitt. We'll talk more about their defense in the second half. But this Virginia Tech defense is going to have, you know, Israel Abanacan to nightmare, nightmares for weeks. And last week, Miami was not able to get the run game going, elected to throw the ball a lot more. I think after seeing the Hokies' inability to stop the run last week, they'll probably elect for a more balanced mm, offense. I would think so. Um, they haven't been able to run the ball the last two weeks. Like, they couldn't run the ball on, on UNC, which is su- very surprising. Uh, UNC is still like 105th in run defense, despite the fact that they shut down Tech in Miami the last two weeks, which shows you how bad they were before then. You know, so Virginia Tech in the last three games has given up an average of 480 yards a game and one point shy of 40 points a game. Let me repeat that. 40 points a game and 480 yards a game. They've been gashed through the air. They've been gashed on the ground. So... Yeah, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, I think you're um, feeling pretty good about it if you're an offensive coordinator. Yeah, you know, you, you can just pick whatever you whatever. want to do. So, But it, it is a good thing you bring, a uh, good point you bring up. They're, they haven't been a great running team. Uh, will they try that this weekend anywhere, or will they just go with the pass? Like we talked about drops being an issue for their wide receivers. Fumbles have been a little bit of an issue for their running backs. I know last week there was a specific play where they went for it on fourth down and they converted. He actually picked up a little bit of extra yardage too and then gave it right back to the UNC. Yeah, yeah. Um, Miami, uh, just like they find ways to lose. (laughs) Um, It's not really explainable sometimes that they keep doing it over and over and over. Like wide receiver, I don't think they have like a dominant back. Like uh, th- th- there's nobody that like really stands out above the, above the other guys, at least not to me. Um, so th- they 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 need to probably uh, not not gonna say they need to recruit better because Miami always on paper recruits well, yeah. but they don't have a standout like an alpha offensive player that can go out and take over a game. Unless you count Van Van Dyke as is that guy, mm-hmm. but he's struggled a bit more this year than you would expect. Maybe because he doesn't have quite the level of talent around him that he normally does. It's interesting. Uh, so leading rusher is Henry Parrish, yeah. uh, 78 rushes, 378 yards, 4.8 yards per carry, four touchdowns. And then number two is uh, Thaddeus Franklin Jr., 
and he's 40 rushes, 170 yards, 4.3, and five touchdowns. So you I mean you look over on the tech side of things, you've got uh, Keyshawn King, who's averaged six yards a carry. Uh, Malachi Thomas came back, averaged 5.6 mm-hmm. yards a carry. You can, you know, you want to be careful of famous last words here, but you can argue that the running back talent at tech, it's certainly the statistics point to right. a to better production. Mm-hmm. And Miami had starting offensive linemen go out hurt on back-to-back plays against UNC last yeah. week. And they were already missing one of their offensive linemen who I think got hurt against maybe uh, Texas A&M. So they've had some injuries up there, um, and that, that will hurt things. Um, they, they, they could get – probably will get one of those starters back um, next time. Like a, It sounded like Ja'Kai Clark, who's their center, and who we accidentally listed a – 190 pounds on the roster card now that i i'm looking at it <laughs> which clearly he's not i didn't get you to edit it <laughs> yeah i know uh <laughs> uh i think uh but yeah so tech i think if you're miami you look at this game like you see a team that you gave up 320 rushing yards to one player and you've had struggles running the football the last two, two weeks so you see this as an opportunity to get better but at the same time if you go out there and you try to run it and then you have the same struggles you had to the last two weeks then you could find yourself in some trouble. So, and and Gaddis will get criticized if he comes out and, and goes pass heavy against a team that gave up 320 rushing yards. So, yeah, I think they'll try to be balanced. Yeah. So here, here's, the, here's the roster card error. Uh, when I cut and pasted height, weight, and class in for number 53, Ja'Kai Clark, I actually cut and pasted number 53, Lucas Peterson, linebacker. So Clark is 6'3", 305, junior. He is not 60190 Richard sophomore. And Lucas Peterson is some walk-on linebacker. Right. Yeah. Right. He will not be playing center for the game. No. <laughs> so like Virginia Tech, they have a little bit of an of a depth issue on their offensive line. Offensive tackle Zion Nelson, he was a preseason all ACC guy. Not sure if he's going to play. I think that's going to be more of a game time decision, but general offensive takeaways they struggled in the red zone. They've left a lot of points on the field. Virginia Tech red zone defense ranks 112th. Um, also want to point yeah. out that they've been very aggressive. They went for it six times on fourth down last week. The, the Virginia Tech defense has not been presented with many fourth down scenarios, but when they have, they've only stopped three of nine attempts. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I've seen some of Miami's fourth down attempts. Obviously, they, they didn't get the one against Middle Tennessee, and the very next play, Middle Tennessee hit the 99-yard touchdown. Yeah. And then they had, uh, they had an incompletion to Mallory down on the goal line against North Carolina last week. Um, that was obviously ended up being being the difference in the game. Uh, so we'll see if they're as aggressive uh, against Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, at some point, you might ought to start kicking some field goals <laughs> if you're not making them. And their field goal kicker's been there a long time, right? Or I guess I we're think gonna... he's actually he's like a, a sophomore. true sophomore. He's yeah. a sophomore. He was there. I just recognize the name. I yeah. think. Yeah. Right. I feel like he might have a brother or something. Who played he, maybe at that might oh I think Florida State yeah I could be completely that, that, wrong that name sounds but the last familiar. name did sound familiar it does that'll wrap up our first half but before we break let's send it back to Jake in the fourth chair well it is homecoming week and we have a sold out Lane Stadium a lot of alumni coming back into town so I wanted to take us back in time uh, about a hundred years uh, to the first ever <laughs> homecoming game for Virginia Tech played on October 23rd, 1926. Mm. Uh, the president of the United States was Calvin Coolidge and Virginia Tech took down Virginia by a final score of a barn burner, six to nothing. That was thrilling. Huh. I'm six sure. Nothing. And what year was that? That was 1926. It was the first time that Virginia Tech beat Virginia in Blacksburg. Hey, it had to have been more entertaining. Was than, that a uh, Hunter Carpenter game? 
No, he was he was gone. He was the nineteen hundreds. Like so, he'd played his eight, nine, arts. ten years, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wondered how far your guys' Virginia Tech knowledge went back. Uh, I do Not know quite a hundred years. Now six, we know six, it's pre World War Two. I will say this. I will say this. That was probably a more entertaining game than the Virginia Tech Wake Forest game in twenty fourteen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so first homecoming game ever, six to nothing. I think we'll see a little bit of a higher scoring game this year. Probably. Offense, please. I don't, actually, I don't know. Between Tech and UVA this year? No, no. Between Tech and Miami. Oh, Tech and Miami. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Somebody's gonna that's going to be a fun podcast preview of the <laughs> UVA matchup later on in November. All right, that'll lead us into our break here on episode 263 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Talked a lot about this Miami offense and what to expect from them. And on the other side, we'll take a look at their defense. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. We welcome you back into episode 263 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. As a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, continue to drop any questions you have for Will and Chris in the chat, and we'll get to those with Jake at the end of the show. Turning the page to defense, when you think of successful Miami teams in the past, you think about good defense. Mentioned earlier how well coached they were on offense, but defensively they're even better coached. Brought in a guy in Kevin Steele who spent the past nine years in the SEC. He's been at the likes of Alabama, LSU, Tennessee. I think if anyone can transform this defense, probably him. Maybe not in year one, but he's certainly a good guy to get it done. Wait a minute, wasn't Steele Clemson's defense coordinator when they got Yeah, he was. Yeah. I just that's like the only thing I know about Kevin Steele. Yeah, so every time yeah. his name Dabo's comes fired up. him, but like he's done well, he's done well everywhere else. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you've seen some of his influence so far. I think at Miami, they've uh, they've been very good up front. They have that uh, they do a good job again in the backfield, making tackles for loss. They they get a lot of sacks. Uh, I think they have eleven players who have between half a sack and two and a half sacks. But they don't have anybody with more than two and a half sacks. So it's like a group effort. There's just athletes all over the place. Uh, so Virginia Tech's going to have to have to be protecting in every direction this week because you don't know where it's going to be coming from. Didn't you put in the preview that there's something like the number 12 rush defense in the country? Something like that. Yeah, either in terms of... And, and, uh, and I, I do that against FBS teams. Right. I click the button on, on uh, cfbstats.com where it takes out the games against FCS for everybody. So they got a good run defense, so it'll be interesting to see how Tech attacks them, but we'll drill more into that. Like you said, the highlight of this defense are the guys up front. You have two teams that do very well um, statistically in tackles for a loss, and we sat here last week thinking that Pitt's line would be a nightmare matchup, and yet they weren't able to um, contribute a lot of TFLs against the Tech running back. So that'll be something to watch for sure. Yeah, that was – you know, one of the bright spots to take out of the pit game was the fact that they didn't make a single tackle for loss on Malachi Thomas or Kashawn King. And and Miami's a team that will make a lot of tackles for loss. So if Virginia Tech continues to show improvement there, then that'll help them stay ahead of the chains. And they won't get in as many third and long situations, which, you know, makes those third down conversion rates go up. Uh, I'm having some sort of murky flashback. Was it Jalen Phillips that went off on Tech and had a really good game against them? No, usually when I Nick say that yes. stuff, okay, Nick that that, that yes. sounds right. Um, do you remember how many sacks he had, Nick? Like seventy-two or something like that. Um, so hopefully you will not have a breakout star for the Canes in this game. Um, oh Lord, now but, we're gonna have one. Uh, <laughs> that curse of I don't know. Maybe if you mention it, it won't happen. Yeah. Um, but I, I was really impressed with with the Tech offensive line, particularly in the first half against Pitt. They were. You know, it's not just that Pitt wasn't getting tackles for a loss. Tech was getting a good push in the running game that we hadn't seen 
prior to that. So again, mm-hmm. that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in this. And game. you've got to run the ball against them. Like yep. Virginia Tech has to run the football. Man. I mean, Tech can't go out there and rush for 42 yards and then try to pass it 50 times. This team can't win games that that way because yeah. you can't you can't hang this defense out to dry, like that. Right. Um, we did. They, Tech didn't hang them out to dry last week, and you saw they still gave up 320 rushing yards. Yeah. Um, so you've got to play, as Brent Price says, complimentary football. So even if even if you're not like out there break it off decent chunks of yardage, you still have to run it to help your defense out. Miami's going to be able to rotate that defensive line a lot and keep guys fresh. It just goes back to, you know, the massive talent gap in recruiting. Miami ranks as the second most talented team in the ACC with two five stars, 44 four stars, and it's recruiting in Miami, Florida. So, of course, yet they're still sitting in the same boat as us. Yeah, they're, 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 they're two and three. Yeah. Um, so recruiting is – I think recruiting is just as important as everybody else thinks about it. But what I view, view successful recruiting is a little bit different. Like, like you need you need the right culture, guys. And Miami's recruited guys who I just think you get them all together in the city of Miami, and they just don't they don't care about as much about winning, quite frankly, as, as that past group of Miami players that, that really established their culture. I feel just so repetitive. I say it every, every year, year, culture, culture, culture. You know, they just – Something happened to them somewhere along the way and just jamming just more and more it. talent in that team isn't getting it done. And so it's I, I think looking at Crystal Ball's uh, uh, time there long term, I, I think the Mark Richt hire just wasn't a good hire. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think he was a good fit. I think he was getting towards the end of his it's, career. He went to Miami, yet he wasn't a good fit. Yeah. He went to Miami before they were the U. Played there, yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if Crystal Ball can – can do something different down there. He's a guy who's had success somewhere else. Um, so that's, I'm just really intrigued by that. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, they're going to get a coach that is going to, to turn that around. I don't know if he's the guy or not. Crystal Ball went to back-to-back-to-back Pac-12 championship games, I believe. And he, right. I mean, he had so much success at Oregon. I thought it was a good hire. Every time I've watched, you know, an, a press conference with him, an interview specifically, you know, ACC media days in August, I'd always been so impressed with him. So a little bit of a shock that he's had some struggle, some struggles, but also not really just with right. you know, the track record in the past. I, I think Miami's one of those jobs that there's probably a lot of people that tell themselves, yeah, I can fix that. It's Miami. There's plenty of good players. <laughs> Look at all that talent. Right, and then they get down there and they see certain things that whatever that is, whatever that is, that we don't probably, know what it is. You're right, and they're like, "Wow, that's different than I thought it was going to be." So, I mean, he he had success at a place. Um, you look at Oregon, and I, I don't follow Pac Pac-12 football. I don't, know, I don't know a whole lot about it, but just from the other side of the country, looking at them, it's all about the uniforms and the flash and mm-hmm. Nike. And you would think if anywhere would have a, in air quotes, culture problem, it would be a place like Oregon where those sorts of things bubble to the surface and are emphasized. But yet he won games there. Mm-hmm. So again, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do at Miami. In Miami, you remember a few years ago when they lost, I think it was Florida Atlantic, and it came out that their players all went club hopping the night before the game. So like, I don't know what they do now, but then they weren't even making their players spend the night in the hotel the night before the game to make sure they don't go out on the town for Miami. To me, that's like the number one thing a football coach in Miami has to do. Uh, Unfortunately, we know they're going to be in a hotel this Friday night because they're playing on the road. Yep. Yeah, Oregon's interesting. They sit on big green cushioned thrones in their recruiting <laughs> photo shoots. And they actually they have really cool uniforms this weekend. I saw on Twitter. They're like breast cancer awareness uniforms. Are they pink? Like, 
Yeah, they have pink accents. Wow. They're black with pink accents. So that so that's cool. But obviously, culture shock going to Miami, it's going to take more than one year to kind of fix that program, I did, would Did think. you see the UNC helmets? Yeah, they're weekend? wearing chrome domes this weekend yeah. with a big Tar Heel foot on it. So that's, we'll see if that's a distraction, if they win at Duke or not. I'm interested to watch. It's at 8 p.m., so we'll be done with the Miami game. Prime uh, time, Duke-UNC football. Is it like we all grew up figuring what happened. <laughs> is it on ACC Network? Do you know? It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. So back to the Miami defensive line a bit. Dale Jackson, a guy to watch, as well as Akeem Mesador, who transferred in from West Virginia. So the Hokies actually saw him last year. They did, and they, and they had success blocking him last year. Like, he didn't go out there and rack up a bunch of sacks or tackles for loss. West Virginia had six sacks in that game, I believe, but he didn't have any of them mm-hmm. or any other tackles for loss. Uh, but he was a first-team all, uh, freshman All-American two years ago. Um, really good player. Now plays for, uh, for Miami. I, I bet... Was it you that the West Virginia play, fan made a comment to? So, somebody told me about see, talking to a West Virginia fan. Sounds like me at yeah. the West Virginia game yeah. and saying, "Hey, that running back's really good." And the I, fan I told just, him is, "Yeah, number twelve's a load, you know." And they're like, "Ah, he'll just transfer out at the end of the year because of NIL." So other fans feel the same way about as a lot of Virginia Tech yeah. fans do these days. And I have a feeling that uh, probably the guy he's thinking about is Messador. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I think Miami. They're obviously getting a lot of NIL funding. I mean, they've made that very clear in public. <laughs> yes, they have. Yeah, so, uh, uh, but yeah, good player. Uh, actually, everybody on their defensive line, they rotate their defensive line so much. It's like, I, I don't know if they've got any defensive linemen that has played over like 200 snaps this year. Hmm. They seem like they're like rotating them all at about a 50-50 rate just about. So, I think, again, it's very important that Virginia Tech be able to run the ball to, to negate that Miami depth advantage, I think. And, and maybe even, I know, up-tempo. And I know that's a big argument for some people. I, I personally am not a big fan normally of up-tempo if you have a lesser talented football team because it just means you, there's going to be more plays run during the game and more chances for you to lose if you have less talent than the other team. Uh, but you maybe you if you do start to establish a run, maybe that's something you can do a little bit this game to try to prevent those substitutions from happening. Yeah. So, so I got this right. Akeem Mesador is a defensive end, correct? Yeah. Because my, Miami is, is difficult to write up because on their roster, all the defensive linemen are DLs. They don't mm-hmm. say if they're tackles yeah. or ends. If you look in their game notes, um, they do not have a depth chart in their game notes. Mm-hmm. So you're, when you look at a guy who's 6'3", 280, you're like, I think that's, that's a, a defensive, defensive tackle end. for us. But right, yeah. but it's a defensive He's end. He's an edge Miami. defender on PFF. So, yeah, defensive end. Okay. You talked about emphasis on running the ball, but honestly, a not-so-bright spot of the Miami defense has been their pass coverage. They give up a lot of chunk plays through the air, so Caleb Smith, ACC wide receiver of the week, mm-hmm. needs to two-peat that and have a pretty good game. You obviously hope for accuracy from Grant Wells in that regard, too. They just, they've got to be the worst team in the country as far as giving up big plays through the air. I mean, the Middle Tennessee play is the perfect example. 99-yard touchdown to... The guy was wide open. The guy was wide open, and the Middle Tennessee quarterback threw for over 400 yards. Uh, I, I just This group isn't mentally dialed in. I mean, I went through the stats for my article about the number of uh, big passing plays they've allowed, and it's just atrocious. And, and You know, it's not like they're playing a bunch of freshmen back there. Yeah, there's a couple of sophomores, but the, the, the issues have been more the corners who are seniors and juniors, uh, and maybe the linebackers, too, to a certain extent. Um, it, 
it's just so many mental errors, and it's got to be driving their coaches crazy. Uh, ironically, the, the the game where they didn't have a bunch of mental errors was when they were playing in front of 107,000 people in a great atmosphere at Kyle Field. They did, I think they held A&M to like 260 yards of offense that night. Now, when they play in front of nobody at home in a scrimmage-like environment, they, they're never mentally Not locked down, in, yeah. and they give up big play after big play. Uh, so, so the question becomes, can Virginia Tech take advantage of this? Um, Tech is not really a downfield passing team. Caleb Smith's made some great catches downfield, but he's generally been pretty closely covered. Yes. And, and he's just really good at getting the ball away from the defender. What have we seen? We've seen Christian Moss behind the defense once. Daywan Lofton got behind the defense against Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, can you know Grant Grant Wells has the arm? I almost said Grant Knoll. You know, <laughs> uh, no Grant Knoll against Miami, please. Um, you know Grant Wells has the arm, and it would be really cool if they could spring guys open behind that defense, and Wells could have a consistent day with his accuracy. Mm-hmm. You've seen some really accurate balls from him, and some really not accurate balls. So it'd be cool if he could just hit two or three of those. Nothing more to add to that. Okay. You. So Chris is like, you're right. <laughs> Agreed. Stephen Gosnell, too, has played a lot on the outside. I think he's doubtful for this weekend. Yeah, I don't so. expect he's going to play. And he's not really like your – He's not a speed guy anyway, right? He's playing outside receiver for Tech, and I don't think he's a natural outsider. Yeah. So Tech yeah, has an yeah. unbalanced wide receiver room where they've got a bunch of slot types and only two true outside receivers. Well, the turnover chain is no more, but safety Cameron Kinchins is still making plays. Three picks on the year through five games. You want to see improvement from Grant Wells in that regard. So hopefully he doesn't add to those stats this weekend. Let's hope not. Look like uh, Miami is very, very capable of, of making plays and, and very capable of surrendering big plays. Kitchens has been their biggest ball hawk. Their other safety is huge. I mean, six, he's enormous. 6'5", 224. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, yeah, scary. That's insane. That's like Cam. That's that's taller than Cam Chancellor. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, he was 6'3". Um, uh, so, you know, you look at Miami's defense, and, and honestly, it scares me. Yeah. I think their defense is more talented than their offense, and I think their defense is capable of giving Virginia Tech a long, long day. But I also, at the same time, I know that Middle Tennessee scored 45 on them. One of those was a pick six. But, okay, so Middle Tennessee scored 38 on them. And I, and I know – and passed for 400 yards on them. So, like, I know it's there for Miami that they might come in here and just totally screw up. Um, but at the same time, their best defensive performance this year was on the road in a fired-up atmosphere where they were really dialed But in. that said, Texas A&M has not been good on offense. Well, neither has Tech. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. That's true. Uh, it's You and I have done enough of these that it's kind of hilarious we have to actually predict who's going to win these games because you just don't know. Especially Miami. Yeah. Um, um, you, you would think – you remember two, yeah, two years ago when Tech really got physically whipped by Liberty at the line of scrimmage. And then the next week they came and played Miami, and they sacked Miami like seven times and just physically whipped Miami at the line of scrimmage. So we as Tech fans sit here and say things like, how can we be so physically bad against Liberty and then we smack Miami around at the line of scrimmage? But Miami fans are saying, how can our players let that Virginia Tech team that get pushed around by Liberty, how can our players let them push us around? Right. Yeah. So there's inconsistencies in Miami. Miami came in and didn't play a good football game against Tech two years ago. Maybe that's because there was nobody there. I don't know. Good point. And I, so I guess to feed into the Miami mindset, 
one encouraging thing is maybe they're looking thinking, oh, that one guy for Pitt ran for 320 yards. I guess Tech's not good. So Yeah, if you look at their most recent games at Tech, 2020, there was nobody there. 2018, they smoked Tech. 2016, Tech won on a Thursday night. 2014, they smoked Tech. That was a game Tech barely scored. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember. Oh, with uh, Mark Leal throwing a Ford? Yeah. Yeah, really late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't remember what happened before then. But uh, So Tech's really had one good year. Well, we know the 2011 game was a 38-35 game. Yeah. And, and, and it was right about that time period that they made Miami come twice. They flipped it, yeah. Yeah, so 2011 and 2012. Um, but, you know, when, when I hear you say that, it's like Tech's had one good game against Miami at home. Um, in like the last 10 years yeah. or so. Yeah, my favorite memory from Miami is in Coral Gables back in 2019, which is a year like going into it, I was there with my dad and we're like, oh, like we're here, no we're going to have fun, but you know, we probably won't win. And then they ended up, you know, having a career day. It was like Dalton Keene had three touchdowns. 28 or to nothing in the blink of an eye. It was and awesome. we were like, what in the world is going Future on? Future Heisman Trophy candidate Hendon Hooker goes out there and throws. Oh. In his first career start. Yep. Puts him up 28 nothing. I think there were... 10 minutes to go in the second quarter when Tech went up 28 nothing, And I remember just looking around going, who are these guys? Because it was a week after they lost to Duke. I don't think I've ever been so surprised by the results of a Tech football game outside of the 98 Temple game. I don't think I've been <laughs> yes. surpri- as surprised to any other result as I was for that Tech Well, Miami the Duke game. game the week before was pretty surprising, 45-10. to 10. No, I picked Duke to win. Did you really? I did. Wow. I did not pick Duke to win 45-10, to 10, <laughs> but I, I did pick them to win the game. You can go back and look at our historical records on Tech side. All right. A <laughs> couple more things to get to ahead of the game on Saturday, but let's throw it back over to Jake in the fourth chair first. Well, I want to mention with that Miami game in 2019, everybody remembers the 28 nothing start, but it came down to the final play. Uh, in fact, ESPN cut away, cut away from the game because they thought it was over. And it, they ended up putting a second back on the clock. Can you imagine if you were hanging out with your friends and you're celebrating? Yeah, we won, we won, we won. <laughs> and then you look at your phone five minutes later and you're like, we lost? What, what? the heck happened? Yeah, that, that was crazy. That was also the, the Hail Mary at the end of the, the first half, I want to say. That's right. It was because yes. that made the score 28 to 7. Yes. And, and was, that was, that was, that was, was one of those when the, the announcers yeah. were high-fiving yeah. each other when, when Miami <laughs> hit the Hail Mary. Dusty Dvorak, is that how Dvorak? you pronounce it? Yeah, something and, like that. And Mark else? Jones, is mm-hmm. that it? Yep. Yeah, below five. Yeah, and and Jones has one of my favorite calls in tech history. I'm pretty sure it was him that called uh, Brian Stills punt return in the '95 Sugar Bowl. Really? Yeah, I think I, th- I think he was calling that game. Interesting. Yeah, that game that game was was strange in a lot of ways. Uh, but my last thing here in the fourth chair, uh, the new Commonwealth Clash Trophy was <laughs> revealed uh, yesterday. It, for those of you on our YouTube, I'll see if you can see. I don't know if you can see that far. Yeah, you can see it from there. Uh, So that's what it looks like. It's the Hokie Bird and Cavman wrestling over the state of Virginia. Uh, Virginia Tech trying to hold on to it, uh, but down 1-0 right now. Lost in men's soccer earlier this month. Uh, But tomorrow night, women's soccer taking on number 13 Virginia at Thompson Field, 8 p.m., uh, so if you're in town for uh, for homecoming this weekend for the Miami game, head out to Thompson Field tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Uh, women's soccer got off to a great start this year. They were ranked last week, uh, but back-to-back losses trying to bounce back against UVA and even up the Commonwealth Clash for that phenomenal trophy we just saw. And do, yeah, do it, we want to talk about the trophy? No, yeah. no, no. Now let's be clear because some people on the message boards thought that they were replacing the Commonwealth Cup football trophy no. with that, and that's not what that is. It's for the entirety of all sports. Yeah. And that's that 
trophy. The Hokie Bird has skinny little legs, and he just doesn't look like the Hokie Bird at all. And the Cavman looks like, if you look at his face, like he looks like a Halloween costume. Like a scary Halloween yeah. costume. scary <laughs> Halloween costume. It's it's. It's it's not 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 the trophy I would have designed. <laughs> it's a cheesy trophy, but I'm I guess it'll be highly coveted in the state of Virginia from now on. It's what we got. I, I want that thing, but I don't want that thing. <laughs> Can we just like get it and then stick it in a closet somewhere yeah. and not put it on display? You know, we we what we need to do is when we, on on years where tech clinches it. They need to give it to Sons of Saturday, and they need to carry it like down through downtown and be drinking beers. Uh, oops, that sounds abso- like abso- accidentally do. dropped it. Sorry, <laughs> Dro- <laughs> dropped it off the rail at Tots. Sorry, oh, gosh. darn. What a shame. the whiteboard. Let's start over again. <laughs> well, when you step back and look at this matchup, it seems like Virginia Tech and Miami both started to get the ball rolling more this past weekend and start putting the pieces together to a successful game, but both fell short. I think this week is a lot about the ability to build on that moving forward because there's certainly a lot of winnable games in the future and winnable games left on this schedule. If we can play a bit more disciplined and learn how to finish, we might be able to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, there are winnable games. Uh, Tech took a step forward offensively, and we'll find out this weekend whether that was a one-off or they have actually gotten better Right? because um, you, you never truly know. Um, I don't think the defense is as bad as they've played the last two weeks. I think they they played the best quarterback they'll play all year against North Carolina. I think they played the best running back they'll play all year. Last week they could have played better. Yes, certainly last week they could they could have played better. Lots of bad run fits. Tisdale will help out there. Um, Miami stresses you, but not like not in the same way those last two teams did. Uh, they don't have a running back like Pitt. Um, and, and, you know, they don't have wide receivers like, uh, like North Carolina, right? Exactly. So, uh, I think, uh, this is a better game for the tech defense. It's a better chance that they're going to come out there and they're not going to play like they did against Boston college or old dominion because, you know, those teams are just bad offensively. Um, but, but they have the opportunity to come out and put forth a, a solid defensive performance i think and and if they do that and the offense shows that last week wasn't a one-off then they'll have a chance to win i'm really interested in seeing uh malachi thomas's second uh, he's at the top of the depth chart this week which you would expect and uh, i was not on monday's podcast but i do want to uh say this that that i thought the staff the coaches trainers medical staff at least from the evidence we saw against pitt did a great job managing his injury and his return to play. Mm-hmm. I did not think he would look that good. He he looked he picked up right where he left off at the end of last year. So kudos to them because we've had some issues with how injuries yes. have been managed. They didn't put him out there until he was ready. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that it, it just it's just more evidence that Brent Pry is playing the long game. He's calm he's taking notes he's figuring stuff out he's got to know there are certain things he's not doing well because we all see it um and and i think he's doing things for the future you see him slowly rotating in the younger players i don't think he's caught up in the week-to-week stuff like fans understandably are i get it i'm not i'm not criticizing you play percentages as a coach i think malachi thomas is a darn good running back but like carolina was going to score 40 points right and like one player for Virginia Tech isn't going to overcome those those yeah. forty points. So in that, those situations, you do what's right by the player. Yeah, and I thought they did a great job of that. So I'm I'm really interested to see how he does. Uh, see if he can get over a hundred this Saturday. 
his debut in Lane Stadium this year. Hopefully he has a game like he did against Syracuse yeah, last year. That would, that be, would nice. be nice. Yeah. And that it ends up different. Yes. Yeah, so the outcome is different. <laughs> well, speaking of the outcome, we're going to get into game picks. It's hard to imagine one of these programs losing four straight mm-hmm. games, and yet it's going to happen to happen. someone. The game picks were interesting this week. Will and Chris going with the same score, but different teams on top. A close game predicted all around them. Um, do we know the last time Tech lost four games in a row? 1992. Okay, in uh, one season? 2018. Yeah, 2018. Whoa. Oh, okay. Oh, that was the last time that they started two and four. My apologies. Okay, okay, right. okay. Um, yeah, so so it doesn't happen very often. So from 2018, you've got to go all the way back to uh, 92. Of course, there is the end of 94 and the beginning of 95 when they lost four. Yeah, they, lost, that five, was be- they lost five out of five, six, including right, four. But that row. was between two different seasons. Yeah. Uh, Miami, I don't know when the, the last time they would have lost four in a row. It is an interesting matchup, and it's very hard to pick because I do think Tech is capable of winning the game. But I also think that, like, like if Miami comes in and says, oh, wow, this is a college atmosphere. We're actually going to have fun and be <laughs> dialed in today. Yeah. Like they have the horses to punch tech in the mouth and, and, and win the game fairly handily. Um, I said before the, uh, gosh, I guess I said before the UNC game or maybe, or maybe the, yeah, probably before the UNC game that I wasn't going to pick tech to win again this year until they actually do. So mm. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick them to beat you uh, Miami this weekend because I do think Miami on the whole has has more established players, but at the same time there's been so much coaching staff turnover at both schools. You've got portal guys in for both schools playing big roles. You just kind of don't know what to expect on a week to week basis from either team. So I can see it going either way. I've got Miami 27-24, but. I could easily see it being the opposite, too. Which is exactly what Will yep. has, the opposite. Yeah, I have the other way. So, you know, the other thing that makes it difficult is both teams are kind of in flux. You know, they, they, they're they different week to week. Um, and ultimately, the way I based my pick, I think if they played 10 times, and this is always the game you play when you're predicting yeah. predicting game. If they played 10 times, who would win the most of them? And Miami probably would. Um, again, you never know. Um, but so in my mind, I looked at that five game stretch of, uh, help me out here, WVU, um, North Carolina, North Carolina, Pitt, Miami, and NC state. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh, we could lose all five of them. And I'm like, they're not going to lose all five of them. They're going to win at least one of them. Well, they've lost the first three, and I don't think they'll beat NC State, although with Devin Leary's status, yeah. who knows. Which he's out from either one week or six weeks, which is what they said, so we don't know if he's going to play or not. The last but time NC State weird. tried to play Virginia Tech without with Devin Leary sitting on the bench, it didn't go well for him. Right. Yes, and, and they, the COVID year. So, you know, anything can happen there, but I, but I still think even without Devin Leary, I really like NC State's chances to win that game. Mm-hmm. So this is it. I said they're going to win one at least one of those five, so – I'm picking this one. David has Miami 27 to 22. And then the fans actually, the majority of them as it stands now are picking Miami to win by 11 plus. Wow. So they've lost hope more than we have. We, we, have we all think it's going to be close. I didn't even look other. at it in my rundown. <laughs> I had written down that the fans picked tech to win by one to 10, because that's what I had predicted. And then I went and looked and I was surprised. I, so. I, I, I could see it working out that way. And I, there is one part of my brain where I'm terrified that again, Miami's going to come in here and say, 
oh, wow, fans. Let's play football today. Yeah, and then they just easily handle tech, but we'll see. So what we're looking at right now is there, there are 366 votes in, and I loaded this article just probably five minutes ago. And typically the results will not change once you have that many votes. We'll, we'll wind up, the last two weeks, we've wound up around 1,200 votes. So you're about a quarter of the way there, and uh, 38% have said the Hurricanes are going to win by 11-plus. That's way better than last week's 85% that Pitt was going to win by 11-plus. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a couple things that work there in the Hokie fans' psyche. Number one is seeing signs of life from the Tech offense. And number two, knowing that Miami's Miami, you know. So, And the second most popular at 28% is Tech by 1 to 10. Then the Hurricanes by 1 to 10. And then Tech by 11-plus is 6% of the votes, you know, not a lot. Yeah. So that's the way it's breaking out right now. Not sure quite what to expect with this one, obviously. You would hope that Miami would come out playing like they did against Middle Tennessee and less like they did against UNC. But Nice weather, nice tailgate. That's my only expectation. A high of 71 degrees oh, for yeah, mid-October. It's going to be nice. Wow. Gonna be nice. Yeah. Which actually the last time Miami played here, it was November and it was 75 degrees in that COVID year. I remember going and it was like, what when is I, this? I when I was it. a freshman in college, we played them on December 1st. And it was, it was the, in the 60s. Oh, I wore, I wore shorts. Yeah, they bring the heat with them, I guess, yeah, I guess from so. South Florida. Yep. Well, before we go, let's go ahead and take a couple questions from the jo- from the chat. Any good ones, Jake? Uh, just one today, and it's actually from our friend uh, Scott Glessner. And I think this is a good one. He says, do you think Pry and company are more focused on setting their system instead of wins or losses this year? For example, would they implement an offensive scheme to try and win by just running down the play clock or see what they can do using just their normal offensive scheme? Uh, I think we saw some different stuff against Pitt last week. We did. I mean, that, that, that pass to Gallo that he dropped, I mean, that was your ultimate Brad Cornelson, smoke and mirrors, you know, draw it up and try to trick them type play. That is not base offense. Um, we've seen it expand a little bit the last couple of weeks. I mean, they finally they finally handed it off to a jet sweep guy against Carolina, I think. Uh, so, like, and I'm sure a more observant X's and O's guy than me can, can look at every single game. And Brandon Patterson said this earlier. He said, it, may, it looks this way to the average fan, but they ran different style running plays against uh, Boston College than they did Old Dominion. Like uh, more pin and pull one game as opposed to more something else another game. So it has been different based on the opponent, but unless you really, really know football, you probably don't pick up on the on the, the guys against Pitt were like saying that. counter plays, and I swear I saw one play where two guys pulled from one side and right. it looked like two pulled from the other side. Right, right, right. Pretty active yeah, stuff. Yeah, so uh, they're doing some different stuff now. Um, I, I think it's probably just, you know, taking them – the players a while to get used to it um but again like like i'm not gonna say they've turned the corner because you see it's just it was one game right like you, you don't nobody truly turned the corner until you get consistent right um like if they go out there and lose 34 to 10 then you're gonna be like uh well we kind of got lucky against pit so uh We'll see. Uh, but, I, but, I, to, but answer the question, I do think they're taking the long view. I said that earlier in the podcast. I think they're taking it in certain ways. Like, uh, I think they're taking the long view in terms of player development. Yes. And as far as redshirting, I mean, we haven't said that the whole show. <laughs> um, it's shocking. But, Had to get uh, it in one time. Exactly. Uh, I think they're they're taking the long view in terms of that. I do think they're trying to win football games on Saturdays, though. And, and the other thing, they're, and, and I'm developing this opinion that um, – 
you know, you haven't seen a lot publicly about Virginia Tech's NIL efforts, but that doesn't mean that he isn't working closely with Brent Pry isn't working closely with companies behind the scenes and has a plan and things are going to happen there. The other thing he doesn't know is he, he knows what he's doing with this year's team and what he hopes leads into next year, but he doesn't really know what's going to happen in the transfer portal in the off season. Um, it's, it's very different now. So um, he can plan for the future all he wants and it might get completely upset by guys that he expects are going to stay around don't wind up staying around. So he's got a lot of stuff to manage beyond just, am I going to win this week or am I going to win this season? He's got to learn how the whole year goes. He's done the PR part. He's gotten hired and thrown snowballs and come on the TSL (laughs) podcast and he nailed that part of it. Well, now he's playing games and then he's got to close out a recruiting class and he's got to see what happens in the off season. You know, this is, this is a whole year to year and a half of learning. Yeah, one decommit in that recruiting class. I guess it was last week. Yeah, cornerback? apparently getting a Clemson offer. Yeah, as a cornerback from South Carolina, at the time he committed to Tech, he was ranked 13th in the state. His stock appears to be rising. He's uh, Clemson sniffing around. And I thought his film was great, and I'm like, I wonder why I have, like, at least South Carolina hasn't offered. Why not? What, yeah, crazy? Well, here they and, come. and now here comes Clemson. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and apparently he lives really close to Clemson. Yeah. Like, he, I think he, uh, he goes to high school with some of the Clemson's coaches' kids. So, they are, yeah. <laughs> Myson Kelly, is that his name? Yeah. Is that yeah, right about? I think yeah. So. yeah. Yep. so I guess you can't blame And he him. hasn't committed to Clemson yet. Okay. Um, now, there's debatable, it's debatable whether he has his offer is like committable right now or if it's one of those. We're waiting on one other guy and we might be able to take you at signing day. Um, and if that's the case, you know, I'm, he could still end up at tech, but I'm glad, you know, he actually came out and told the coaches now that like, so they can, so they wouldn't get taken by surprise later. Yeah. You know? All right. Thanks for monitoring that Jake game previews posted on TechSideline.com As of today, make sure you check that out and go vote in the poll. Today also happens to be ACC media days for basketball in Charlotte. So David Cunningham is there covering that. I'm sure he'll have some David content up on the off. site yeah, yes, yeah. regarding that. So you can read that as well as the Sean Padula feature that came out earlier this week on his birthday. Anything else Friday Q&A? Uh, yeah, definitely okay. a Q&A. Should have inside the numbers tomorrow, although I don't know what. I'm taking David's place is uh, by going to football later today and nice. doing pry interviews. So I'll have some notes out tonight from about whatever price is. Yeah. All right. Another great episode of the tech sideline podcast. Want to thank everybody on set today. Will Stewart founder and general manager of tech sideline. You can follow him on Twitter at will Stewart TSL, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for tech sideline. He's at, he's on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL, Jake Lyman in the fourth chair did a great job talking about that Commonwealth Clash trophy. So that was a fun little <laughs> tidbit. Um, Nick ba- Nick Brown producing and Carter Hill, great job as always. The Hokies take the field for Game 7 against Miami at 12.30 p.m. in Lane Stadium on Saturday. It'll be a beautiful 70-degree degree day if you're there. And if not, it'll be televised on RSN. We'll be back Monday morning to break it all down. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and enjoy your weekend.